Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. I've recently started a new business called Bia that helps women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from bad cramps, irregular periods, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Annie Lawless, to our show today. Annie is a serial entrepreneur, co-founding Suja Juice, and most recently, Lawless Beauty, a clean beauty brand. Across her ventures, Annie has always prioritized the importance of natural, clean ingredients stemming from her experience with autoimmune diseases. With a passion for nutrition and overall health, Annie set out to co-found Suja Juice, which became one of the largest organic cold-pressed juice companies, where she sold a minority stake to Coca-Cola and most recently sold it to a private equity firm in 2021. After her time at Suja Juice, Annie's health condition led her to seek out clean beauty products, only to find out what was available simply did not provide the full pigmentation, long-lasting performance she was looking for. Through her beauty blog Blonde, she noticed there was a massive gap for makeup that was high-performing but cruelty free and clean. And that's when the idea for Lawless Beauty was born. In our episode today, we talk about the pivots of her journey, detailing how she found herself dropping out of law school to teaching at a yoga studio to where she is today. We get an inside look at the rapid rise of Suja Juice from hand making the juices from her kitchen to then scaling the business to a nationwide brand and the biggest learnings she had along the way. Annie also emphasizes how important it is to follow what lights you up and how with both of her businesses, they purely started as passion projects that grew because she was genuinely aligned with her purpose. Annie is here to remind us the importance of focusing on joy, nurturing your passions, staying true to your unique experiences and path, and so much more. Welcome to the show, Annie. It's such a pleasure to have you join us today. Thank you. The pleasure is mine, and I am such a fan of yours, so I feel like this is going to be a really fun chat. Oh my gosh. I am a big fan of yours. I know before we started recording, I was just telling you how much of a fan I am of your clean. I mean, really everything, but like your clean foundation was the first thing I bought from your brand. I'm like, oh my God, something that's non-toxic that actually works. This is amazing. So I'm excited to jump into everything. And I really just admire you as a person and how real you are. I mean, we'll get into it, but I'm just very, very happy that you're with us today. So thank you again. Thank you. Thank you so much. So before we go into your story, I'd actually love to start with a quote that you've mentioned multiple times on different interviews that resonates with me that I love, where you say, you don't need a business plan to start a business and you don't have to have every little thing figured out to get started. So tell me more about what you mean by that. Because I think so many of us, and listen, I've been there before too, where we want to control everything. We want to make sure the right next step is there and thinking about all the right opportunities. And unfortunately, business doesn't work like that, at least for my life. And you know, we'll go into your story, but tell me more about what you mean by that quote. Yeah. I mean, I think it's human nature for us to want to mitigate risks and be safe and feel like if we get in front of all of these things in advance, we will save ourselves down the line from making mistakes and all the perils that business can bring. However, I think even if you have a business plan, you need to scrap it because business is not linear. There's so many ups and downs so many different turns that you weren't expecting to take. 
And for me, you know, I started my first business at 24. And I think that was more of a blessing than a curse because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. But in some ways, not being so burned by the business world or jaded and just being so green gave me the confidence to just dive right in because I didn't know any different. And I think that we wait and wait for the perfect time, the perfect plan, the perfect funding, the perfect partners, all of these things to align. But then we never get started because that just doesn't exist. You know, a perfect setup, a perfect foundation is just not achievable. And so when we let that get in the way, because we need to have all of our ducks in a row and need to know exactly what we're doing and need to be the smartest person at what we're doing and do too much research, we just kind of like hang ourselves up. And so I think that's one thing that I really value about starting when I was young was I didn't know. I didn't know mistakes yet. I didn't know messing up yet. And so I didn't hold me back that I didn't know what I was doing. I just started. And that's my biggest piece of advice to anybody listening that has an idea but has no idea where to start or feels intimidated or nervous. Just start in small ways. Every day, take a next step towards your goal. Start doing little things and chipping away. And don't get hung up on the big picture of needing to have all of these things in place because then you're just never going to get started. And what I love so much about your journey, which we'll unpack today, is every little thing that became a business really came from your truly your personal interest and passion. And in my entrepreneurship journey, I wish my younger self knew that of like, don't worry, just focus on what brings you alive and life will work its way out. So I just think like your journey is such a great example of that because you have really doubled down on your happiness and what brings you joy very early on. I'm like, I wish I was like you in my twenties, <laughs> but you know, I actually want to start with you going to college, right? You went to Arizona state university and you didn't really know what to study, which is so many of us. And you actually decided to study philosophy. And you talk about how that point in your life was actually quite pivotal because you've really thought about the meaning of life and happiness. But tell me more about why philosophy kind of opened up your mind about this and what were some of the takeaways that you took from that part of your life to the next phase in your, I guess, career? Yeah. Philosophy came as just sort of a byproduct of curiosity you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was so curious. Why am I here? What am I meant for? What am I supposed to be doing? Why are we all here? What's the purpose of life? And as I delved into studying philosophy, I realized so much of that is this question that we all internally have of what am I here for? What is my purpose? And it can be interpreted so many ways depending on which schools of philosophy you, you know, resonate with and that you study. But I just really thought, gosh, you know, life is so short. We are here this one time in 100 years. No one's even going to really know our names. Nothing we do is really going to matter. So you might as well live it to the fullest and spend your time here in this one life that you have doing things that truly make you happy. And that was a really big um, tension for me in my life because as I moved on and went to law school and all these things, anything that didn't really make me happy or feel like I was thriving was uncomfortable. And it just made me feel like I was wasting this time that I had here. And it wasn't about making money. It wasn't about achieving success. It wasn't about having a career people would be impressed by or degrees people would be impressed by. It was really about, I want to wake up and be excited for my day, excited for my life, because this is it. And now that I have a, I have a two-year-old and I keep thinking, gosh, I'm going to look back one day and say, these were the glory days. Like, appreciate every moment, even the tantrums, because when she's 16, I'm going to say, oh, and I'm going to talk about when she was two. And I feel like when I'm 80, I'm in the glory days right now. When we are... You know, in this age of our 20s to, you know, 50s, and we're starting all these careers and businesses, and people even start businesses way later than that. This is the time to live 
your dreams. And so that really was, I think, the biggest gift philosophy gave me was going that step further to really ask those questions. Am I happy? Is this aligned with my purpose? Something doesn't feel right. I'm not waking up excited. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, but this doesn't feel like it. And that really guided and informed all of the decisions that I made to move into other areas of my life and pursue the things that I was passionate about. Yeah, gosh, that is so mature to have those insights early on. And I'm curious, did you have any examples of what it looked like to maybe be in a career or life that you're excited about? Like, did your parents example that? Or was it truly you studying philosophy and it kind of percolating different questions in your mind and making you reflect? It's actually the opposite. Um, My parents had a really tumultuous divorce when I was in early high school. I was about 11. And then my mom went back to work full time after being a stay-at-home mom for 13 years. And I saw that she was miserable. She had her MBA. She was able to go back. She was a forensic accountant. She was also a CPA. So she had a good career. You know, it was something that was respectable. And she's still in that field, but she's never like loved it. And I could tell like she didn't come alive and it was really a means to pay the bills. It was really a means to provide for the family. It was really a means to pick up the pieces after my dad left. And so I remember thinking, gosh, I do not want to wake up with that feeling where I'm sad to drop my kids off and I'm sad to go to work. I would much rather be doing X, Y, Z. And she had always had an interior design business on the side and all these other things she was passionate about. And I would always just think, oh, but she doesn't feel confident to go explore that further because it won't make the same money that her business job will and she needs to provide for us. And so I saw that cycle and just knew I have to make sure I don't get in that situation where I'm forced to do something because of my circumstances. I have to create something for myself that will provide for me in the way that I need to be provided for, but also that I love and that I'm passionate about. And as I moved on and kept doing more and more things I loved, I realized when you love what you're doing, you tend to make money because you're passionate about it. You're persistent. You keep pushing. And so when you don't make that the focal point, and that's just a back burner, it becomes a byproduct of putting your energy into the world in a form of your passion. And you create things for yourself that are successful because you're happy and you're thriving. Yeah. So agree with that. And I'm curious, just kind of taking it a step further, you know, I actually did not know your parents got divorced in high school. And I know my parents got divorced when they were younger and they did a great job co-parenting, but I like to unpack that because so much of my motivation in a good and actually a bad way, it kind of pushed me towards a career before I started my entrepreneurship venture of let's make money because I don't want to be in a position like my mother, let's just say as an example, who, you know, she was an amazing stay-at-home mom. She was incredibly smart, but kind of put her career on the sidelines for the kids. And I wanted to make sure I've always were on my own two feet and was financially stable. And it's interesting because although being able to provide for you was really important still, it didn't really push you towards the corporate route, but maybe it did when you went to law school. So maybe can you kind of unpack why you went that route and you know how you decided like, oh shit, this is not for me. Yeah. So my dad's an attorney. He's My dad has passed away, but he was an attorney for many years. And when I graduated with my philosophy degree, you know, when you're that age, everybody kind of looks at you the minute you graduate, like, what are you doing next? What's your plan? Where are you going to go? What are you going to do? Do you have a job? Do you have... And you're just like, ah... And I think it was kind of a stalling mechanism for me. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I didn't have a clear direction. It's not like pre-med or something where you graduate with a clear, oh, you you have a philosophy degree. Well, then this is what you go do. It was like, uh. So I realized, okay, well, my dad's an attorney. And what I love about law 
well, at least at the time I thought, um, and I got a certificate in ethics also in undergrad in addition to my philosophy degree. So I really liked this idea of helping people and using creative ways of looking at situations to really, you know, help people get justice. And as I got into law school, I quickly realized this is really not about ethics. It's not really about justice. I'll be someone's research, you know, little assistant for many years, making nothing, running around, being fed cases. I'm not passionate about it all, needing to just compile all the stuff. And so that was, I think, when I realized, okay, about six months in, it was pretty early. I was like, oh, this is definitely not the way that I want to spend the rest of my life. And I thought, do I keep going and pursue it just because I'm already here? I'm very blessed and lucky that my parents are willing to pay for me to have an education like this. Should I just get the get the degree and then decide what I want to do? But I remember like I would be driving to campus like so depressed. I would be waking up like so bummed out that I had to go spend my whole day in the research library, just like reading about stuff I didn't care about, learning about stuff I didn't care about. And I I realized, you know, sure, I might graduate, but then I'm going to feel the same feeling I had when I graduated college of what do I do with this? I need to go use it. I need to go do something with it. So that was kind of the clear indicator that this is not for me, that I am driving to school every day unhappy versus excited. And I had felt that feeling with philosophy of like, I love this. Like I couldn't stop reading. I couldn't stop absorbing. I like loved my major, even though it wasn't the most useful in terms of like the business world. It was definitely a feeling that I didn't have about law. And so that was when I thought, okay, I need to get out of this situation and do some real soul searching and put my time and energy into things I love to do and see where that takes me. And that was what I did. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. In 2020, I was struggling with some debilitating health stuff. I just got off birth control and suddenly I had acne, mood swings, breast tenderness, and really painful periods. I tried so many things, but the one thing that worked was something called seed cycling. I know you're probably thinking, seed cycling? What the heck is that? It's a natural way to support your hormones using four specific seeds throughout your cycle. The challenge is that seed cycling can be a little complicated to do and kind of time consuming. So I decided to make an organic seed cycling product that is so easy to use. We make it effortless effortless for anyone to get started today. It's called Bia and it's a super easy way to add something powerful to your diet to support your hormones, regulate your cycle, and bring back balance. To learn more about Bia and join our community with thousands of incredible women all over the world, go to BiaWellness.com and that's spelled B-E-E-Y-A Wellness.com and check out the show notes for our promo code to get $10 off your first purchase. Thanks so much for listening and now let's get back to today's episode. And I love that you had contrast when you were studying philosophy, because when you're so young, sometimes you don't realize what it's like to be good at something and love it. Right. And sometimes you're like, oh, life should be hard. This is normal. But you had that perspective, which I think is actually a big gift for so many people, because when you do love something, it comes naturally. You're excited. But it's also I know you talked about in law school, you had like a full blown panic attack, right? Or like an anxiety attack. Was that the final straw for you to be like, I cannot live like this anymore? It was. I was studying in the law library for finals. It was like right before the holidays. And I just got so like upset. I was like breathing heavily, crying, sweating. I was so, so, so upset. And I was with a study group. I ran out. I went straight to my guidance counselor's office who I'd only met with like twice. So I'm like, she's going to think I'm a psychopath because I'm running in there like sobbing and red and sweaty. 
And I just said, I want to withdraw. I don't want to take finals. I don't want to do this. I want to withdraw. I want to withdraw. And she was like, okay, breathe. I have the papers. You can withdraw anytime you want. I just want to make sure this is what you want to do. Why don't you take them with you? And then you can scan them and email them back to me if this is what you really want. In this case, don't take finals because it will go on your record. And then if you did want to come back, you would need to kind of go through a review and explain why. Otherwise, you could just reapply like a normal student. So I took the papers home. It was like 10 seconds after getting in the door. I like signed them, scanned them. I was so sure at that point. It was like this physical and mental release that had just been pent up. And I was sitting there studying. And I think I was on like hour five. And I was just like, I hate this. (laughs) I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. Why am I doing something against my will? No one's forcing me to do this. Why am I doing this? And that was it. I signed them, scanned them back, didn't go to finals. And that was when I started teaching yoga. I know. And this is just a good reminder because listening to your body is so key. And I know I talk about this all the time, but you know, I've been doing these interviews for three years and every woman like you comes on my podcast or like, listen to your gut, listen to your body. Right. And just seeing those signals so early in your life. And unfortunately it turned into like a full blown anxiety attack, but it's like, how can we all honor these little voices that we have or the feeling of like, this is not the right fit. We all know what that feels like. And now in my thirties, I honor it. If something doesn't feel right. I'm like, nope, it might not make sense to anybody else, but you got to honor how you feel. So I love that you tapped into that and you kind of went on your own path. And I know, you know, you mentioned you started getting into yoga. You actually didn't tell your parents early on that you left, which is interesting. So tell me more about, you know, what got you into yoga? Because that phase in your life really opened up your first business that was yet to come. Yeah. So I got into yoga when I was 16, actually. Um, There was a studio in Phoenix called At One. It's closed for many years, but it was such a little like safe oasis for me. I signed up and I would go every day after school, do yoga class before doing my homework to kind of like reset myself after school. I just wanted like, you know, to do something kind of to take the stress off and switch into my different environment. And I met so many amazing instructors there, so many amazing people there. And it just became this really big passion of mine because I noticed that every time I walked in, I would be holding a lot from the day. I would be stressed. Like my shoulders would be up here. And it was the first thing as a young person that I really tried that gave me like this feeling of peace. And I would just always get home feeling so amazing and I was addicted. So I kept going back and kept going back. And then when I left law school many years later, I was like, okay, well, what do I want to do when I wake up tomorrow now that I don't have to go to school? what do I want to do? I want to go to yoga. So I was going to yoga. The place is also closed now, but it was called La Jolla Yoga Center. And I was just taking class after class after class. And finally, I was like, I'm just going to do yoga teacher training because I'm so passionate about this. So I took the training and then I started teaching kids yoga and doing subbing. And then I started kind of working the front desk and managing the studio, which is how I kind of understood how the business worked. And that was really the best thing I could do was give myself that time before I told my parents that I left law school. I was just, like I said, finals were just before the holidays. I didn't want to come home, have all this attention on me the whole time being like, I dropped out and like have them question me. I just needed a minute. I needed a minute to decompress, figure out what am I going to do? What's the next step for me? What, where do I want to be? Do I want to stay in San Diego? Do I want to move back to Phoenix? Do I want to get a job? Do I want to go back to school? Like all these questions were swirling. And sometimes when you feel like your mind is chaos and you haven't figured it all out and everything's just like up in the air, the external world also like asking you a million questions and bombarding you with their expectations of you just really muddies the waters. And I felt like I needed to get clear and come back and tell my parents, I dropped out. Here's what I'm doing now. This is my plan. 
but I didn't know that yet. So I needed the time to figure that out. So I did take about three months. I didn't tell them. I really pushed them off, avoided calls, gave them one word, you know, short answers. School's good. Everything's good. I'm good. And it wasn't to be deceitful. It was really just to give myself the space and time to figure out what was next for me without their input because I knew that they weren't going to approve. Maybe you answered this already, but you know, to grow up in a family, your dad's an attorney, your mom is highly successful in the accounting world, like for their daughter to drop out of law school and then get become a yoga instructor and then work the front desk, like that is probably not what they were expecting at all. Did you ever have any feelings like, gosh... I'm embarrassed by this or like, what would they think? Or did you kind of create that bubble? Like you were saying to protect yourself? Like, how did you not allow those external voices to kind of come in? Because you didn't grow up in a world like that per se. Yeah, I definitely felt they would be disappointed. But the weird thing is, it was so what I wanted to do at the time that I was like, so psyched about it that I wasn't embarrassed at all. Like I was like, hell yeah, I'm working at the front desk of this yoga studio because I love it. It's such a great place. It's such, yeah, it's like the most amazing energy, the most amazing people. And so I think just knowing I was logical enough at that time to just say they're going to be disappointed. It's a far cry from law school is now I'm working at the front desk at a yoga studio and I have no plan for the future, whether I'm going back to school or what. So I just wanted, I wanted to stay in my bubble for that period of time and insulate myself a little bit and find my happy again and get back to a place where I wasn't having emotional breakdowns and, you know, anxiety attacks in the law library. I wanted to get my bearings so that I could deal with that conversation in a much healthier place. And it was the best thing that I did for myself was to give myself that time and space. And I think we are all by nature pleasers. I know there's some people that say I'm a people pleaser. I think humans are pleasers because we're social beings and we always want that positive reinforcement from our peers, our parents, our community, our professors, everyone. And so when you kind of just have to say, I don't want to know what you think. I don't care what you think. Sometimes you do have to mute the world so that you can do the work and go inward and figure out what do I want? Not you, not you, not you, me. What do I want? And that is so such a powerful skill set to have as an entrepreneur, which is so interesting that you were building all this before you started your business because so much of entrepreneurship is taking a crazy risk, right? And bringing something into the world that hasn't been done when like, what is, what's the stats? Like 98% of businesses fail in the first year or something crazy. And like, as I'm going down in my own journey and, and hearing stories like yours, it's like, God, one of the superpowers is double down on who you are and who cares what anyone else thinks about anything. And if you can build that muscle, like you were working on in your early twenties, that is your biggest gift. And that's something I try to work on even on my personal life with the smallest stupid things. Like, what do I look like? All right, whatever. Who cares? Yasmin, post that content, like not to overthink things and just be like, I'm in my zone of genius. This is all that matters. And I'm not here to please and make everyone happy because if you do anything like that, you're not going to do anything amazing in your life. So I love, again, your maturity level so early on to think through all that. So tell me more, you know, when did the idea for your first business come about? Was that kind of in the call when you called your parents? You're like, hey, I have this plan. I have this idea. Like, tell me more about the conversation with your parents and then when the business idea kind of came about. Yeah. So I told my parents and my dad was based, I didn't, I didn't have my first business kind of figured out yet, but my dad was like, okay, well, I had agreed to pay for school and therefore your apartment. Now that you are not in school, you have three months, you either get a job and decide what you want to do or you come home. And so I said, well, I am doing yoga. I'm teaching yoga. I'm working, but I will figure this out. And we kind of left it at that. He was actually pretty supportive. He was more supportive than I thought. And I remember at the end of the call, he said, I was driving in the car and he said, 
I just want you to be happy. I'm proud of you. I just want you to be happy. And I remember feeling a huge sense of relief at that point because that's all you want is for your parents to really understand you. And you know that they want you to be happy. You know, I have a daughter now and I think, God, if she just wanted to like open a hot dog stand on the side of the road, but she loved it, I would be thrilled. I just want her to be happy. But I didn't know that at that time, not being a parent and kind of being on this side where I felt like I was going to be disappointing them. And then it was just a few weeks later, um, a guy skated up on a longboard to the yoga studio and we had this big glass windows and he had a green juice in his hand in a glass bottle. And I had a green juice in a glass bottle, which we haven't touched on yet, but growing up I had celiac disease. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease two years ago. I had chronic eczema my whole life. So I come from a background of a lot of autoimmune issues. And so I had gotten into juicing in high school and college as a way to really kind of, um, I read a bunch of books by a guy named Dr. Norman Walker, who was like the first guy that pioneered this idea of juicing to help cure all of these chronic diseases. And so he had this really specialty cold press that he created called Norwalk for Norman Walker. And so I bought this clunky machine. It was like a million pieces, a thousand pounds. It was so old school. And so this guy comes into the yoga studio and he said, yeah, I make it at home on my Norwalk press. And I said, me too. And it was really weird to find, it's not a Breville, let's put it that way. It's a very niche specialty machine that no one would really want in their home, like for just personal use. And so we struck up conversation and realized we both had this love for organic living, nutrition, health, wellness, um, all sorts of things aligned about our background and just my stories with autoimmune issues and his health issues. And he had trained to be a raw organic vegan chef. So we immediately struck up conversation. And so that was really kind of the beginning seeds of Suja. We started a little local home delivery service delivering juice because a lot of the yoga clients in our studio that we had come really close with and that we knew would say, oh my God, where'd you get that juice? We'd say, we make it at home on our Norwalk presses. So we kind of joined forces and started this little local home delivery service. And this was not like when it was Suja. This was in glass bottles that I wrote the names with a Sharpie, like made it at my house. Every Sunday would send texts out to people with what produce was available. So it was definitely um, a very small kind of like guerrilla operation, but we started and that was the beginning. Yeah. And it's it's crazy because now we hear cold pressed juices. Okay. Like back in the day, this was very, very unique. Like there wasn't, and I believe you got, you were in San Diego, right? So there wasn't like press juicery back then and just different shops. So this was like very, very unique. And we had like um, Jamba Juice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I love in another interview, you were saying like, you were even going to Whole Foods and buying the fruit. Like this was just you guys being scrappy and it kind of starting as word of mouth because you were doing something that was so unique that people wanted. So it's interesting because Obviously, you know, I'm sure many people who are listening know about the brand, but Suja became a national brand that you guys scaled very, very fast. So tell me more, like what was a pivotal moment for you to do this from your own house, just kind of collecting a community that's growing organically just because they love the idea to then, you know, eventually being in Whole Foods and all the distributors, like what really, I know there's a lot that we can unpack, but like maybe one or two pivotal things that really took you guys to that next level. Yeah. So I'm, I live in La Jolla, but the studio that we worked with was also in La Jolla. And this is like a very health conscious, and it's also an affluent kind of like beach community. And so we had a couple of clients that became obsessed, addicted, ordering cases every week. And a couple approached us and said, we love this product. 
we would love to help you guys take this to the next level. We would love to invest. We think you need to get a commercial space. We want to help you legitimize your business. And at this time, we weren't even thinking retail like Whole Foods, Costco, Target. We were thinking more like how Blueprint back in the day had the deliveries with the ice packs and you would order your cleanse kind of a thing. Uh, Because at this time, we were a raw juice and retailers wouldn't take on a raw unpasteurized juice product the same way they don't carry raw milk. So it just wasn't something that was happening at that time. So we decided that it was a really good idea because we were having so much fun. We were loving it. We weren't doing it to make money. We would literally charge people the cost of our produce work like so we could have a creative outlet and, you know, have some fun. And we could see that people were really loving it. So we felt like we were like, there was this purpose about it. We were like their weekly juice fix. When we took the investment, we moved into, it was actually one of the investors had a nightclub that he owned and it was the pastry kitchen there that no one was using at this time. So we were at this nightclub making this organic juice and then I would go and deliver the juice. We had a couple delivery people as we scaled, but it was still like a really small operation. And we set up this tiny little website. People would come and order the juice. We would deliver it. And then we started shipping, but it was only local shipping because that's how long the ice packs would last to keep it completely safe. So it was a really small thing, but that was really the turning point when we decided to make it not a hobby out of our houses and more of like a legit business. And then it was just within a few months, Whole Foods was kind of looking for these you know, local niche brands that were doing these things. Have you seen where they have a local sign by certain products? however many miles away it was made. So they were kind of starting that and they were looking for brands like us. And so that was when we started talking to them. And then pretty quickly we figured out how to, um, it's called HPP, but it's high pressure process, which is a pasteurization technique that uses pressure instead of heat. So it retains all the nutrients and extends the shelf life and kills pathogens without any heat. So it's an incredible way to preserve food. And we did a ton of testing on that. It met all the FDA requirements for the six log reduction studies on pathogens. And sure enough, we launched in Whole Foods just in the Southern Pacific region. I think this was like 2020, late 2012 or early 2013. And then within like several months, they plussed us out nationally and it just kind of took Oh my gosh, there's so much that happened there. But like two things that stand out is the power of just getting started, right? Like the fact that you guys were just hustling, going to different people's homes, like you never know one person you meet could change the trajectory of your life and business. And clearly, right, that's what you did and or that's what happened to you guys. And that's why I just love like, if you don't even know where, like going back to what you said early on, like you don't need to have a specific business plan. You didn't think that it would ever be in retail and it could last, last and have a long shelf like life like just get started and let's just see like where life takes you because when you're having fun which it seems like that was a case it all kind of works out at some point or another and you know I'm curious because you know it seems like you and I believe Eric was your business partner at the time before you guys brought in investors you guys were just having fun right and you know there's so many beautiful things about being naive especially in your first business what are the biggest learnings you had you know whether it was partnering up with those investors to kind of take you guys to the next level but looking back what are maybe a few things that kind of stand out there? You're like, all right, I learned that lesson. And, you know, moving in my now business, which we'll get into, I might not do that. Well, I was young. And so I didn't have a lot of capital to invest. I think I had like $12,000 or something. So I didn't invest a lot of capital. Most of it was sweat equity and the fact that I was the founder or co-founder. And so um, looking back, I think it's really easy when you need the money to take things to the next level and someone offers it to you and you like the idea It's always going to be friendly when you take the money, but they can get too much control. 
And so if it is your business and your brainchild and your baby, the most painful thing can be to see other people take it in a direction that you don't necessarily believe is like the business DNA. And that became hard for me as we grew and scale and did multiple rounds of fundraising and really wanted to get mass and commercial and go into Costco and Target and airports and all these places, as I always really wanted to preserve the heart and soul of the brand from when we were delivering it. And I wanted it to stay this really like specialty product. And that became difficult. And once you're a little bit outnumbered, especially, you know, people get board seats with investment and, you know, you can get voted out and you can have your say kind of be null. And that became a tough realization for me is next time I do this, I'll make sure I'm always the one in control. Like nothing can actually happen unless I okay it because that happened to me. And I remember that just being a really painful thing, but it's also like part of the process because then I learned I could have never done this without those people. I could have never, we could have never done this without the capital. We could have never done this without the vision when we were doing something fun and didn't really think that it was going to become this big business. And then we partnered with people who did see that and then brought their business expertise. So I think it's just all part of the journey and you figure these things out. But I would say one of the biggest takeaways is taking money from someone is like a marriage. Um, you're stuck with them. And there's a lot of capital out there and you can get money from a lot of different places. So if that's what you need, don't just sign the contract with the first person that offers. Make sure that the relationship is good, but mostly that the alignment is there, that your vision for the brand or the company or whatever it is that you're starting is the same as theirs and that you're on the same page. Because sometimes people can get greedy. They want to do whatever it takes to make something mass. They want to do whatever it takes to make something scalable. And that may not really be where you want the future of the brand to go. And so I think it's just being aligned and making sure that like you would with a with a spouse, do we have the same values? Do we have the same goals for our life? Do we want to be looking back when we're older and say that we lived our life together the way that we both wanted to? And so I think that that's one thing I would have done over again is just making sure that I had hypothesized, like hypothetically, we become this, you know multi-million dollar brand and we're distributed nationally. What does the brand look like? What types of products are we launching? How much sugar is like the ceiling of what I want in the product, that type of thing? Because um, that was definitely something I didn't really foresee because I didn't even know that that was possible. Yeah. And that's why, and I appreciate you being so open about your experience. And that's why I think like podcasts or just, you know, hearing people's experiences are so helpful, right? I mean, because you're starting this business. The beautiful thing is that you don't know every little detail and all the things that might happen, but that, like you said, it didn't really stop you from experiencing the success and growing the business, but there's obviously so many learnings when you look back. And I think one thing that really stands out that we hear a lot is like you said, you know, be very mindful about the investors that you bring in. And also when it comes to board seats, like I have friends who have incredible businesses that have investors who have more board seats than them. And they're still the, they're still the majority owner running the show. But of course, like these little caveats are super important because they might not necessarily have control with certain things and, you know, whatever they want to vote on. So I think like these minutiae details are so critical. Like you said, you know, there's so many learnings and the, so many things that you're now taking into your second business that came from, you know, you really scaling Suja. So I'm curious, you know, you guys ended up getting incredible investments from like Coca-Cola. You talked about how you were feeling in time, like you weren't passionate about the business as much. It was growing. I'm sure your role was changing. What really happened when you're like, all right, you know, I'm done with this. I want to move on because, you know, I can't imagine that feeling, especially it's like your first baby. Like you basically birthed this thing into life. So that's actually a massive decision. So I'm curious, like what was percolating in your mind at the time? The most surreal thing to decide that this, this thing that has dominated 
your entire life for the last like five plus years, you live, breathe, eat, drink, like your soul is in it. It's just, it's time to move on. But I just hit a point where my role did change. I was spending a lot of time on things that I really wasn't passionate about. A lot of back-end business things, a lot of personalities. The company had grown exponentially. So many employees, teams were big. It wasn't the creative space that it was once for me. And there was so many things that needed to happen to even just like create a product where I felt like my time here is done. You know, I've done what I'm going to do with this and I want to feel that way again about the next thing. I loved that early stage of creating something, kind of being a little bit nervous, not knowing what was going to happen, a little bit scared, but also really excited. And I wanted to get that feeling again. And you could call it maybe like adrenaline junkie. I don't know, but I just missed that thrill of like the new, the newness, those beginning stages. And so this little baby toddler had grown into like a teenager. And I was like, okay, you're you're gonna go off to college now and it's time for me to go back and like have another baby and be in that fun, you know, newborn bubble of like, I'm figuring it all out again and I have to learn it all over again. And I missed that. And so um, that was when I really knew, like when I was thinking about doing something new, I felt more excited than I did about staying. And that was kind of when I knew my time here is done. We created something incredible. I felt really good about it. I still love that brand to death. I still love everybody that were, you know, in those early day trenches together. We were doing something really, really exciting and fun together and we did it. So I have nothing but like amazing memories, but it was time for me to go and do it again. And one thing you mentioned is like the lack of creativity that was there. And I know you had a blog on the side. So I'm curious, like, did you create that because you're itching to put your voice out there and create something and tell me more about how that kind of maybe helped you in the next phase of your life after Suja? Definitely. I, I am a creative person and I need a creative outlet. And I was feeling like I need somewhere to put my creative energy, like whether it's I want to talk about nutrition or write recipes. And I was really into like food and wellness. So I would write a lot of recipes. And with all of my autoimmune issues, I was really into like trying to create recipes that people with my dietary restrictions could easily create at home. And then that got into posting outfit OOTDs because at the time, Instagram had kind of like just started. And then I started a YouTube channel and I would talk about, um, foods that people think are healthy but aren't due to marketing and all sorts of things. And then that kind of morphed into sharing more beauty and fashion. And I would share all my skincare, you know, products and makeup tutorials. And I could see there was this appetite because I had come from the health and wellness space of my audience wanting more of that from me in other areas, not just food. And they would ask me like, what are your favorite clean makeup racks? What are your, and I had posted a big blog post about clean skincare because I switched over. Sephora was like just starting to bring in brands like Tatcha and Tata Harper and like doing this kind of focus on clean skincare. And I had done a blog post that was like, I'm switching to clean skincare. These are the best things I found so far. I love this for XYZ reason. And I remember a bunch of the comments were like, what about makeup? What are you going to, what are you going to recommend for makeup? Are you going to, can you do the same post for makeup? And I was like, you know, I don't really have any clean makeup. Like I need to go test all of this out and like educate myself. So I remember going to Whole Foods and Sephora. And at the time, Sephora has like tons of clean brands, but it was like three brands at the time. And as someone that was using Bobby Brown and NARS and Giorgio Armani and all these, you know, classic traditional brands, I was like, clean makeup is just not for the makeup person. There's like tinted moisturizer level coverage. There's no like eyeshadow palettes. It's like these really sheer dusty singles. 
There's all cream, like blushes. There's no like real blush, no mascara that doesn't flake. Like there's just nothing. There's lip balms, no real good lipstick. And I was like, clean makeup. There's a huge white space here because if people are switching over to clean skincare, they're starting to read ingredients. They're starting to turn their products around, understand what's inside them, and they're going to do the same with their makeup. And I remember thinking, this is so silly that I'm going out of my way to spend extra money on clean skincare. And then I'm putting all these ingredients back on my face five minutes later that I'm like trying to avoid with my makeup. This just makes no sense. So there has to be clean makeup that will make a makeup person like me, but that cares about what I'm putting on my skin and in my body switch. And so that was when I got the idea for Lawless. So I thought this could be a really fun thing that merges my passion for beauty and wellness And also just fills a need that I personally can't find for myself. So there have to be so many other people out there looking for the same thing. I'm so glad you brought this brand because I'm like you. I'm all into clean stuff, but like finding clean makeup is super rare. That is for the makeup person. And I'm like, I need full coverage foundation. Like I want like a black eyeliner that stays throughout the day. I'm like, I've tried every little thing and it doesn't stay. So I'm very selective about the brands. And, you know, back then there wasn't a lot of clean brands at all. And you were very early in that. So it goes back to also you solving your own problem, which I think is really crucial. And I think it's, it's fun when you're launching a business because you genuinely are curious, like you're going and finding all these different brands. You're thinking, okay, what do people want? What do I want? And that makes experience so much better when you understand, right? Like it's actually the best gift I wish for anybody who's looking to start a business is you being passionate about and creating something that you want. So tell me more about, and I love this because again, you didn't really have a business plan. You didn't think it was going to be this massive makeup empire. So what were you kind of thinking early on when you were just launching the brand that, you know, that lawless would be? I literally saw the Kylie lip kits blow up and there was this like huge trend. And I was like, what is the deal with these lip kits? So I ordered one And I was like, wouldn't it be so cool that all of these people are so excited about these matte liquid lipsticks with the lip liner to just launch a shade range of eight liquid lipsticks in the clean space. My blog readers will love it. They can be my like customers and audience. I can just do it out of my house. I can set up my own website. But I was thinking this would be a really fun product to launch as my first thing in clean to show that clean can be like trendy and sexy and like a product that's sizzly right now and not just like a sheer tinted lip balm with like coconut oil. And so it really started like that. Just like this would be so fun. It would be so cute. I have like blog readers that would buy it. So like it would be like a fun little thing. And it really was just like that. I started Googling manufacturers in California. They didn't have to be in San Diego because there's nobody in San Diego that makes makeup. But I was just like looking around who could do this. And I started looking at like organic skincare manufacturers just to like try to find the right person. And after several meetings and digging around, I found this very tiny boutique lab that liked the idea. And they were like, we could totally work on this. And so um, it took several months to kind of nail down a formula that I felt was really comfortable, but still wore long and didn't crack, but also like was super pigmented. And that was it. I ordered, I think at the time, I ordered way too many because I thought like, oh, people are just going to love this. And I had no employees for the first two years, even when I launched Sephora, but I launched October. It was my birthday, October, 2017, a month after I got married in Italy. So I was like having the craziest year putting together this website, getting married, launching this brand. And it really was just a total passion project. I had no goals of making it like this massive brand. I just wanted to strike while the iron was hot. I was like, people want this right now. It's happening. I want this right now. This would be a really fun little thing to do. 
And so that was the beginning. Um, that was October and then of 2017. And then December of 2017, I got an email from Sephora. Oh my gosh. Did you think it was Pam? Were you like, wait, is this for real? <laughs> no, because I had met the girl at a I went to an event for Becca Cosmetics, like as an influencer, because I was blogging and YouTubing and she was there. So I recognized the name because I met her like in totally in passing. And she like, I guess, had followed me and was reading about that I had launched a brand. And this was before Sephora launched the Clean Seal. So June of 2019, or no, June of 2018, I believe they launched the Clean Seal. So this was late 2017. They were looking for brands that could meet the blacklist requirements that were clean, but that were also a little bit more mainstream, uh, that could be like not in the Whole Foods environment, but at a Sephora. And so they emailed me. I went and met with them in San Francisco and it was great. We totally clicked and it was so low commitment for me because I was just going to launch on .com. So I shipped them all the product, launched March 2018 on .com. It went really well. So a year later, March 2019, we launched in-store with our own gondolas and like 40-something doors. And by that point, I had launched foundation, um, I think a setting powder. And then fast forward now, we're almost six years in. It's been – we've totally expanded the assortment. I do have employees now. (laughs) Um, We've grown a lot. But yeah, in the beginning, it was totally just me for the first two years. My husband was very kindly – um, helping me out. Uh, I forced him a little bit, but he also volunteered. Um, and then now he, now he's out um, and I have a real team. But it was definitely one of those things, just like with the juice, where I was really passionate about it. I thought it was a really fun idea. I loved beauty. I had been doing so many makeup tutorials. And then I saw this need in the market. And I, I feel like that's a good tip for anyone that wants to start a business. Find something that people need. Because the market is so saturated with all sorts of different consumer products with, you know, whether it's food, home care, pet care, beauty, everything. But when you find something that you really need and doesn't exist or you wish it were better or you wish, that's a really great idea because there are people out there looking for the same thing. And I think that's really where this um, brand had the magic in the beginning was, and Sephora saw that point of difference was this is not a regular clean brand. This is clean for the glam person that loves makeup, that loves color, that wants to be a great brand that is also clean, not a clean brand that is okay. Yes. And you mentioned something that I think is actually really important because you said, what is something out there that you wish was better? I think so many people think if they want to start a business, it has to be this like massive idea, like a Facebook and you're going to like disrupt an industry. But it's like, what is one thing that you can take that you see there's an opportunity and make it better and make it like your unique spin to it. And of course, like anyone who thinks about makeup, they're like, oh my gosh, there's so many brands out there. You instantly already stop yourself from even taking that first step. But instead you're like, okay, there's something interesting going on here with like Kylie lipsticks. How can I take this trend and make it this cleaner version, right? And no one really was doing it at the time. So I think having that open mind versus thinking, oh gosh, like there's so many makeup brands out there. It's so saturated. I will never make it. It's like, what can you do that you can actually make something a little bit better? And what's cool about the way you thought about it too is, you, you know, the first two years you self-funded it. You were the only employee. I think you mentioned like your brother was helping you with some of the finances, like as a CFO perspective, but like it wasn't this massive operation, but you were testing it out with your customer, like your blog at the time. Right. And it's like, 
how can you create something with low expectations and test it out with a community and just see like, do people like it? Is it working? So I love the way you set it up. And, you know, the fact that Sephora came in that like, what an incredible opportunity, like right time, right place, all your hard work kind of came together. Um, And I know I'm talking a lot, but I also want to call out one other thing is like you doubling down on your passion with the blog years before the brand came out. It's very amazing and inspiring to see like all the hard work that you do and something you love, it all comes together at some point, right? So it's like people might look at you and be like, Andy, like you're so lucky you got into Sephora. And it's like, actually, you've been doing the work from years before the brand even existed. So I don't know, just my monologue of just how I appreciate the way you kind of set up Thank everything. You. No, that's actually a really incredible point because I think a lot of people expect overnight success. And my husband brought this up the other day because I'm going to LA soon for an event, um, a personal event for with friends. But he was saying, remember you used to go to LA like three to four times a week? And I was like, yeah, I would go to every beauty event I was invited to. And especially after I launched my brand, I was like, if I want to be in this world, I need to network and meet these people and make friends with them. Like, I need to know what are they seeing? What brands are they loving? What are other influencers like posting about? What are the products they're using? Who are the people at Sephora? Like, I needed to learn the industry because I came from a space that was polar opposite from the food space. And working with merchants at Whole Foods and, you know, it was a completely different world that I didn't know. And I think also setting up the community of my blog, which was, I didn't make any money. I didn't have affiliate links at this time. This was like the early days when I was literally just doing it for fun and spent hours editing my own videos, trying to come up with ideas. And all of that really did come together. And I think that's a really important point is that, like we talked about earlier, just get started, just do something. You don't have to have a clear path of where it's going to lead to, why it's all going to make sense in the end, what it's for. But all of the work that you put out, and I might be a little bit metaphysical for some people, but I really do believe in the law of attraction and what, when you put your energy and your passion to the world, you're on a frequency to receive more of that. And so whether or not you know what you're doing, do what feels good. Go to those events, post that content, create that, you know, whatever it is, and just keep putting your energy. And that's why I say every day, just do something to get one foot forward into the next step, the next step, because eventually it's all going to make sense. And you're going to look back at the path you've walked and say, okay, I'm here. And this is what all of these steps were for. And so it really is um, one of those things too. That I think that you can't do things that wholeheartedly if you're not passionate about them. You can't log the hours. You can't put the work in. You can't, you're just not going to. But when you love something and you really care about it and it's fun for you and you're actually getting something out of it in return, you will put in the time it takes to start a business. And so I think that's the other thing is you have to love it because it's a lot of work. And as you know, there's some bad business days. It's stressful. It's hard. It's, you know, there's tears, there's ups, there's downs. And so to really get through all of that, you always have that higher purpose of, but I love it, but it's so fun, but it's worth it. And if you don't have that feeling, you you probably won't make it. I know. Good luck. I always tell people. And I think, you know, early on, I used to, I was like in finance. So I was very driven by money. That was the world I was in. I was like, all right, what's going to bring me money? And very early, luckily in my twenties, I realized, oh, the more money I make, that doesn't equal happiness. So why am I killing myself to like make this incremental money? And it just goes back to what you said, like really doubling down on your passions. I mean, even this podcast, like 
I should not be doing a podcast. I am way too busy with like my business, but I love it so much that I do it at night. I do it on the weekends. I do it because it just brings me so much joy. And you're um, good at it. Oh, thank you, Annie. I appreciate it. But it just, it just shows like, thank you. The superpower in launching a business or launching a hobby is, can you put the hours behind it? And it, it feels like play when you actually kind of enjoy it. So I love that. Absolutely. I think that's really goes back to when we started this conversation, where I felt that in philosophy is like, I want to be happy with my time here. I want to spend my days putting my energy into things that I love, that I feel passionate about. Even if nobody else believes, if I believe it's a great thing to do, if it's fun, if it's serving a purpose, if it's changing the world in some way, like I don't care what anybody else thinks. Like I think that, and all I care about is being happy for myself. And I think that that's where we've sort of normalized being miserable and we all kind of like think success or money is like this end point and we'll do whatever it takes to get there. But then you look back at your life and it's like, were you happy? Were you really happy? And that to me is much greater success than doing something for money and like having a nice financial win. But like if you're miserable in the process, what's it all really for? You can enjoy your life, but now you have money. Gosh, uh, I wish I listened to this interview when I was younger. And I think like your focus in life about what brings you joy is so important. And it's something I ask myself a lot, especially as I'm building my own business. But as you mentioned earlier, like business is not always happy, right? There's going to be tough situations. There's going to be tough days, maybe tough weeks with a launch, more intensity. How do you kind of bring that joy and the happiness when growing, you know, and scaling a brand, there are going to be tough moments. There's going to be tough days. Absolutely. I think you really have to have your toolkit of like all the things that make you happy. And for me, like I've been really clear about the things I work on in the business that I'm happy doing, that I'm passionate about, where I know I actually am best at and can move the needle and actually contribute more versus beating my head against a wall, feeling like I have to do everything. I have to deal with every headache. I have to deal with all of the operation stuff, then all the finance piece, but I'm also creating product and naming it and also creating content. Like I, I learned pretty quickly in this business as the only founder, no partners this time, no co-founders, I can't do everything. And if I'm not going to do everything, why don't I hire a great team where their expertise is finance, their expertise is operations, their expert, and let people do what they're good at and stop trying to be the person that's good at everything because I'm not. I'm really good at the creating of the product. I'm really good at the artistry. I'm really good at the content. That's because I love that stuff. I started this brand because I love makeup, not because I love spreadsheets, not because I love organizing trucking the product to the Sephora DCs. Like I don't love the warehouse piece of it. I don't love the HR piece of it. So I really quickly learned like on those rough days when I am not the one, when I have a team to turn to and I can say, this is this is a problem, we need to fix it, you're good at that. This is another problem, we gotta need to fix this, you're good at that. This isn't selling the way that we hoped. How do we wanna reposition it or all these things? But it's better to have those people with expertise in their respective areas surrounding you so that you really can focus on the things that bring you joy, that you're good at, that you're passionate about, that you love. So you can find you're happy amidst all the dramas and the chaos and the problems that business can bring. Gosh, it's so true. And also to say, you know, getting to that point, it does take a little bit of time because the first two years you were doing everything and I was doing everything, you know, fulfilling, doing literally every customer service email content. It was wild. But once you get, I know it's crazy, but I love that you had that experience because as you're hiring a, hiring a team, you know what's required for these roles enough where you're not blindsided. You don't just bring someone in and say, all right, good luck. Tell me what to do. Like you still have the awareness, but also now in the phase of where you are in the business, 
you know, I've just hired on a team, which is a, the biggest blessing, especially as a self-funded brand, but also what you said, you know, as founders, we actually always feel like we have to be the one that solves everything. And that's where I'm trying to get out of that mentality. So it's like, oh, I have somebody that helps me. Why, what are your thoughts about this? Like, I feel like I'm always trying to be the solution person. Sometimes I'm like, I don't know, especially as a business expanders, you can't know every little thing. And I think being okay with that is critical. And like you said, like, if you have help asking your teammate, or if you don't have a team, like asking friends, I still text people or I still go on LinkedIn and, and randomly cold email someone if I have a question about stuff. So what you're saying of both doubling down of what you're good at and asking for help, I think is truly what unlocks the success in any brand and business. So I love that you kind of walk through that. And I think it creates a really good company culture when you do start your business and you have done everyone's job because there's a level of respect that comes from everyone that works with you knowing you know how to do their job. You've had to do it. You understand them. You know what goes into it. And I think there's just a level playing field on that in that way that is really difficult to find with your boss or a founder when you feel disconnected. And so I wouldn't take it back. Like I love the fact that even with Suja, you know, I was making the juice and delivering the juice, then cleaning the machines and sweeping the floors. And so you're, you evolve and there are other people that come in and do those things, but it's also so nice for them to look at you and say, she did my, she did this before me though. Like she did my job. And there's just this equality that makes it feel like a really big family dynamic that I really appreciate. But I also think you need to see the beauty in some of those harder days and harder times because it's all part of the learning journey. And if it was easy, everyone would be doing it. And I think so like setting your expectations to know like it is going to be really hard. And when you see these businesses that you look up to and that you love and these founders, you think it's all like butterflies and rainbows. Look at how successful they are. Look at how much fun they're having. Look at how amazing their brand is. And you've, you don't know all of, the, all of the things that have gone into getting it to what you see. And it is hard for everybody. And so being being able to weather those storms and keeping a positive attitude and rolling with those punches is a big part of having a business. And I think it's also just a big part of life. It's a big life skill to just be able to maintain an even keel and just roll with things and just say, okay, you know, this is not the end of the world. At the end of the day, I always say that like, it's, it's just makeup. It's just a lipstick. We're going to be okay, guys. Like if some catastrophic thing happens, like, it's just makeup. We're not saving lives here. We're going to be okay. And so I think that it's always like taking that step back too and realizing what you're doing this all for. Oh, I love that perspective shift. You know, I was joking with my husband, you know, when you're launching different products and things, emails, I'm like, of course we all have expectations of stuff and with numbers. And I'm like, listen, it's better than zero. Like literally whenever I launch something, I'm like, it's better than nothing. Okay. Two people viewed that. Or I launched my YouTube show for my podcast. I just recently, I was like, oh great. 40 people viewed it. You know, I have more listeners on my audio. (laughs) And you, and I've seen it enough where everybody, including you, we all start somewhere. So not to be discouraged by those views because we're in it for the long game. So if you close your eyes, what does it look like in a year? What does it look like in two years? And looking at your journey now doing this for six years, it's like the perpetual growth that comes by just staying in the game and making sure you're fulfilled to push the business forward is is so critical. Well, I feel like I could probably talk to you for hours, but I want to be mindful of our time. But I'd love to ask you just like one last question. You know, you've talked a lot about in your journey, just the power of change and you've done such a great job accepting it and really pivoting your life when needed. I don't, wouldn't say a lot of people are good in that in terms of when there's change, people freak out, they freeze, they don't know what to do. Do you have any advice 
for anyone who's listening, who wants to maybe accept the unknown and the fact that life is full of changes and really be empowered by it versus scared by it. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Because I just want to preface my answer by saying I am also someone that is uncomfortable with change. I think that we all are. Change is scary. It's hard. The minute you get comfortable, you want to stay there. But I also think that change is where we grow. And when I look back at the times in my life where I've experienced these changes, whether it and really scary ones like dropping out of law school and having no clue what to do next, leaving Suja and having no clue what to do next, starting my business and having no clue, like I'm launching it Sephora, what do I do? Doing, uh, I don't know anything. And I think when you get to the other side of that enough times, and I've had these weird, crazy uprooting moments of my life now where I don't get as jarred by them because I see that it's all going to be okay. But I look back, God, I'm so glad that happened. I am so glad that unstuck me from this, that all these things that you don't even know you're stuck in. And so when you reposition or reframe change as, you know, something scary to something liberating, because it's unlocking new areas of your life that you're not currently taking up space in, I think that that is really a powerful shift that makes you excited for it and receptive to it. And I always think about this, um, which is a bizarre analogy, but I had a therapist back when I was probably in my early 20s. And she was saying how, because I told her I believe in the universal law of attraction. And she was saying, well, that's why resistance is something that you're just always going to be fighting if you resist. Because imagine swimming in a stream and it starts going against you and you're just constantly trying and pushing and pushing. You're going to get exhausted. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be tired and you're never going to get anywhere. But if you flip over on your back and just let the stream take you, you can enjoy the ride, you can relax, and you're going to end up somewhere beautiful. And I think that that, I really like to think about change like that, where instead of resisting and fighting what's what's coming to you, just flip on your back and go with it and see where you end up. And everything can be changed and fixed and it's nothing's permanent. So it's not the end of the world if change ends up not being what you wanted. Things are going to change again. Yeah, that's my little uh, strange analogy, but I do like to think of myself swimming on my back, just floating whenever I get I love <laughs> feeling that. like I'm resisting things. Yeah, because like you said, like pushing against resistance doesn't get you anywhere. So you might as well surrender, go on your back and float. I mean, that seems a lot more. Yeah, like listen to those feelings. If that if if you're being called to do something, if you're being called to start something, if you're being called to leave a job, if you're being called to leave a relationship, whatever it is go with it. Just see what happens because then we stay in these miserable or or not ideal or mediocre situations in life because we're scared of change. But to me, staying in those is scarier than the change because then that's your whole life. Oh my gosh. Well, Annie, thank you so, so much for being with us and ending with such an inspiring topic and you know being here with us. But this was such a joy. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. And thank you to everybody listening. This was so much fun. And I can't wait to see all of the businesses that are going to be starting in the next few years of all these amazing, you know, women founded brands with killer ideas. It's just more and more every day. And it's very inspiring to me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. 
I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.